Welcome to C3 Church Tagra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Phil Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. in the Old Testament was in the, in the tabernacle um, and, and it was a place where the, you, know, you would present your, your lamb and that would represent your sacrificial offering and then the priests would impute the sins, your sins into the lamb. They would slit the throat, um, they would empty the blood and they would rip out its guts, sorry lady, um, rip out its guts, but it's a sacrificial thing. It's, 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 very, it's, a, it's actually foretelling what was going to happen with Christ, amen, that he was going to be slaughtered, that he was going to be sacrificed. So that Old Testament thing has been dealt with through Christ Jesus. And we really, we, 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 the, the altar now that we have, we can go to a church like this and we can treat the altar with this symbolic value as a place of meeting with God. Absolutely, I'm, I'm into that. But the altar that I want to talk about eventually is the altar on your heart that Christ, when you've allowed Christ to be placed on the throne of your life, when you walked up to yourself and say, hey, Phil, yeah, what, what's wrong, Phil? Phil, we got a problem here. You need to come down off your throne and you need to let Jesus up there and we're going we're gonna to back off. We're going to let Jesus uh, rule the roost. We're going to let Jesus be Lord of our life. That's when you get saved, amen? So you, you get off your alter ego and who you are and, you know, Mr. Whoever, Big Shot, me, myself and I, we get off and we let Jesus up on the throne and that, then, then the altar is in our hearts. The altar is in our hearts where we become a living sacrifice, where the Bible says in Romans, Paul says in Romans uh, 12 verse 1, that, that we become a living sacrifice. We give him all, that, that we give him all our life. That's why, you know, our worship is important, our finances are important, our very 24-7 walk of life is important. We're a living sacrifice not decompartmentalized to just to come to Sunday to church and give him some honor, but we're actually a living sacrifice. And the altar, the Bible says, must keep burning. We must keep burning for Jesus, amen? We must keep putting ourselves on that altar and then going, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm allowing things to creep in now. And on a Sunday, praise God, like in revival, every Sunday people would come and demonstrate themselves again to God and throw themselves, Romans 12, 1, become a living sacrifice on the altar. Literally throw themselves on the altar. And, they would be, and, and then what happens? When that happened in the Old Testament, the fire came down from heaven. Fire came down, and that's where you see people shaken and uh, under the anointing and the power of God. It's, it's still relevant today, Amen. So I've got this story of Abraham, and for the sake of time, I'll, I'll, I'll run through it, Genesis 12, and Genesis 12 really talks about, it's Abraham, Father Abraham, our great, 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 great
grandfather, father of faith, father of the born again, the believers on the planet, Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country. This is what happened to you when you got saved, by the way. Go from your country. Your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, when it says land, we interpret that now as your spiritual land, the promised land where God wants you to live. There's a place where God wants you to live. It's not just geographical, it's a spiritual place. Yes, it is geographical in the practical, but it is a spiritual place. He wants you to live in the garden. He wants you to live in his presence. He wants you to live in that 24-7 of acknowledging him. Amen? And then he says to Abraham, who, who responds by faith, thank goodness. He's the father of faith. He's father Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That's where we get, someone asks me, where's that, where's that scripture, blessed to be a blessing? Well, it doesn't actually say that in the, test, in, in, in the Bible, but that's where we get it from. Blessed to be a blessing, amen? I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Reading from Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Uh, I like to think curse means I will strict the blessings on them. In Malachi says you'll be cursed, it means this, uh, and I believe it to be true, that you will be restricted if you don't be a giver in your life, that he will lift that favor, and I wish you would have heard the message of favor last Sunday night and, and heard what, uh, how we rounded off that message of favor that's upon you, and then as you get it in your spirit, then you can teach your children well that they are favored, and in being favored, Sometimes you attract the wrong attention when your kids maybe stand out as a bright light in a dark place. Maybe they will attract the wrong attention. Now, straight up, I think we need to teach our children at a very young age, hey, the world's not a nice place, but you are special. You are favored, and it's all cool. God's going to be with you, for you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. So I think some wise counseling like that straight up could help our children realize the predicament they're in, rather than getting caught off guard. Um, I will bless those who bless you, and go, uh, verse 4, so Abraham went to the Lord, so Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites, here's a key scripture, here's a key statement. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, now the Lord appears. He has this big wake-up call, whoa, there's Canaanites in the land. And then the Lord came to him and said, said, the Lord appeared to him and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. I will give you your inheritance, basically. To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar. I'm talking about altars this morning. There to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent 
with Bethel on the west and Er on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. I just want to back it up a little bit and talk about altars. Altars uh, are a memorial of what God does and how God meets us. Altars represent an occasion or a place where we had a personal encounter with God. Do you, you got any of those? You got any of those special places where God met you? And, and, and where you, you, where you dedicate, well, I've got one place, it's where I got married, on that altar. I dedicated myself to, to my wife. Uh, and, and the next one was, was at church, where I dedicated myself to the Lord. They're, memori- they're, they're altars. They are altars where I encountered God. So, the physical aspect of the altar, I believe, it still holds up. But the real altar, as I said, is in your heart. And we need, to, we need to understand that. When we celebrate communion, we are coming back to the altar of the cross of Calvary. Christ died for us. He allowed our sins to be forgiven. He put purpose in us. And we come back to that, 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 that amazing uh, gift of eternal life. And when we take communion, we come back to that altar and we say, thank you, Jesus, for the occasion of you dying on the cross 2,000 years ago. We, we acknowledge that and we thank you for that. Is that true? Here's some, um, here's some uh, types of altars that are in the Bible. Uh, there's one type, uh, a place of encounter, and you'll see that in Genesis 28, where Jacob, he's on the run almost, and he's just out of sorts with family, with God. He pulls up to Bathsheba, and at a certain place, the Bible says in 28, he grabs a stone, he falls asleep, he has a dream. He sees God, he sees, he sees a ladder with angels ascending and descending. He sees the Lord high and lifted up peering down at him, he wakes up and he says, oh my goodness, this is none other than the house of God. This is what, this certain place, this place, like he's he's dead set having a full-blown revelation of what church can be. You know, the blueprints of church are right there. And the Lord says, I will give you and your descendants the land of which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. So he's explaining his covenant to Jacob and, and you'll spread out to the north and the, the south and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. So he's reiterating what he said to Abraham in chapter 12. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to that land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do for you. And of course, Jacob realizes, oh my goodness, God is for me. There is a certain place. There is a place of the house of God. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early next morning, he finds the stone that he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar or an altar, and he poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Bethel. Who likes Bethel worship? Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, that I will be taking and will give me food and eat and clothes to wear, so that when I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone, and this stone, this altar that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tent. So there's an altar there. He's had a full-blown encounter with God 
that becomes an altar. The next one is the place of forgiveness, the brazen altar. It's in the tabernacle. And, and, and it's, you know, it's the brazen altar or the bronze altar. And it was a key element of the tabernacle in the wilderness, a place where the ancient Israelites sacrificed animals to atone for their sin. I mentioned that. A place of slaughter or sacrifice. And it depicted the coming sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The other thing it can be in the, in the Bible, the altar, it's a place of worship. This really speaks to me. The most common altar built by people was this, to acknowledge their praise to God was the altar of incense. This is a real, in the, in the deliberations of the priest and the temple and all that stuff that you probably don't even know about, it was all increments of how to appease God and it was all symbolic of how God needed to be appeased. And how he needed to be appeased was through worship through worship and prayer. That's why the altar of this church needs to burn brightly again in worship, and thank God we've got great worship, and that song is magnificent. The lyrics, I think it's up there with the best of them, to be honest. It's brilliant. Man, it's theologically correct. It gives glory to God. It's all about Jesus. A lot of worship songs can be almost about us. We're singing about us now. Me and my, and me and myself and I, oh, we love you, Lord, but me and myself and I, no, it's all about him. And man, you nailed it. Where is that brilliant songwriter? We, man, you, did you write that? Most of it. Yeah, it's good to give glory to someone else. That's good. You could have written all of it, I know, but... The altar of incense was in this holy place where the priest would offer worship to the Lord. Um, Jonathan, could you put up that Revelations chapter 8, verse 3, 4? I'm moving along now because... John, the Apostle John, book of Revelations, he's talking about the prayer of the saints. When it's up there, let me know. Revelations chapter 8, yeah. An angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. Say altar. This is the altar in heaven. There's an altar in heaven. There's an altar in heaven, guys. There's an altar in C3. There's an altar in your heart. There's an altar in C3. There's an altar in heaven. All right, you got that? Now, he was given much incense to offer with the, the sweet incense. They used to have this smoking thing. It was incense, not hippie incense. I'm sure it was godly incense. And, 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 and it would be sweet aroma. Why? To remind people to remind people to pray, to worship. And you, you know, you walk into someone's house, they've got incense going. <gasps> that should, biblically, that should go, yeah, I need to pray. Smith Wigglesworth, you were with him, and, and he was at your place. Apparently, every half hour, he'd say, excuse me, I just got to have, and he'd walk out, out into your veranda, out to your spare room, and he'd pray every half hour. Imagine that. And you've got to wait for him to come back. <laughs> and then, you, then you've got to work out what to talk about after he does it. That's pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was mowing the lawn yesterday, Smith. Yeah, yes. Very, very nice. No, yeah. uh, it must have been a little bit hard to, hard to be around Smith because he was reframing everything towards God because he could smell that sweet fragrance of the Lord. Let's continue to read that. With the prayers, what's the incense? What's the incense right now? It's not the physical stuff. It's this. 
It's the prayers of all God's people. Thank God for the prayers of this house on the golden altar in front of the throne. Can we move it on? Four, yeah, verse four. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God, God's people. I'm not sure why that gap's there. God's people went up before God. So can I just say this? There is an altar in heaven that our prayers, that our prayers are ascending as sweet incense unto the Lord. And they're being caught in a bowl. And, 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 and the Bible says at, at a certain time, he splashes some of those prayers out. He's, he pours them out sometimes on an altar. Boosh, douche. It's like he drops out this, this, listen, just like a big cauldron. And he just goes, here, have some of that C3 toe. Douche. And the altar is a, is douche. Say douche. <laughs> I like douche. <laughs> not, not bag. Douche. Just douche. Psalm 43, verse 4. Psalm 43, verse 4. I just want to notate that. Place of worship. We need to... 43, verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the the lyre, O God, my God, with music. I will praise you. Uh, What about 22, verse 3? An altar was built, 22 verse 3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. We enthrone you with our praises. So that's another altar, another, a place of covenant, an altar where was built where the covenant was made between the Lord and Abraham. I will mention that in a moment, and the Lord sealed it with a promise. Um, the, the next altar is a place of intercession, the prophet Joel. That's what we've got happening right now in America. If you're in America, you're really praying. The Christian church and the prophetic people are praying big time for the elections. Do you know what I'm saying? And because and, and Joel mentions this uh, as, as the priests needing to come to the altar and pray Uh, Where does it say that? Uh, Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn, wail you. This is in Joel 1, verse 13. Wail you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. Uh, 14, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord, alas, for that day, for the Lord of God is near. And, And it goes on in chapter two, blow the trumpet in Zion, Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Get to the altar and pray. Where else does it say altar? Uh, Verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. Let the priest, let the church. Did I tell you that we're the priesthood believers, that we're all priests? Did you understand that? As New Testament believers, you are the priests, not just me. You are the priests, that you can come to the altar. You can come to the altar and pray for these things that we need to pray for. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. And if you have been uh, seeing uh, in, in, in America that they are praying desperately for the right person to get in, I won't say any more about that. <laughs> Amen. Um, place of intercession. I like this. Altars are a place of being altered. A place of being altered. You come to the altar, you can't stay the same. You're saying, here's me. 
Here's my stuff. Here's my life. God, what can you do? Thank you for asking. Fire, purging, cleansing, healing, dealing with your very soul, dealing with you in an amazing way. So basically, Abraham did what I said. Let's go back to chapter 12. Okay, we need to nail this. Let's go back to chapter 12. Is that where I started? Yes, it is. Abraham, by faith, left on a journey. And just like us, we leave on a journey. And he took Lot with him. We know that. And, and God spoke to him. He built that altar. I said that in uh, verse 6 and at that time. But, th but then it says here, at that time, as he ventures out by faith, He's promised this land, this fantastic land. We're promised this fantastic life in God. Uh, we've gotten saved. We go, this is it, man. No more depression, no more brokenness, no more ugliness, no more stuff. I'm going. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get saved at C3 Togra. This is it. I'm going. I'm going to be like Abraham who left, who left his old life and is going on to live the new life. But then some, it's like when I married Julia, I said, this is it, I'm getting married, I'm leaving my hippie life behind, I'm leaving all that 70s stuff behind, I'm going on, and it's the land, the promised land, we shall be magnificent in our marriage, there will be no problems, it'll be all gold and good and peaches and cream, and we are the perfect couple, we are a marriage made in heaven. But then, <laughs> at that time... He says, but there were Canaanites were in the land. The Canaanites were the most evil people. It was a wicked culture. They were typically what you would call now Satanists. And Abraham says, God, this is great, but hello, there's Canaanites in my marriage. There's Canaanites in my business. There's Canaanites in my land. There's Canaanites even in Australia. But you know what Abraham did? The Lord appeared to him straight up and says to him, reassures him and says, says to your offspring, I will give this land. It's like a promise. I will give you your best life. I will give you what I intended to give you. So he built an altar. See, you've got, you got to build an altar. You've got to say, God, yeah, I hear you. You've got, you got to do business and say, God, I hear you. Man, I'm going through a tough time in my marriage and my children with my finances. You've got to get back to God and say, Lord, I give him my whole life again. He built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hill east of Bethel and pitched his tent uh, with Bethel on the west and air on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord. So he's building another altar. And this time he's calling on the name of the Lord. Names are important. He wants to know names mean character in the Bible. You know that. Jacob meant usurper, you know, Peter meant rock. Uh, names mean something. Then, then it says here, Abraham then says, get this. Then he built an altar to the Lord. And then he called on the name of the Lord. There's no other name by which you can be saved. He called on the name of God. And he said, I need to know your character. I, I need to know your nature. I need to know more about you than what I presently know. But back then, 
He didn't have a lot to go by. Now we're on the other side of the Old Testament, on the other side of the New Testament almost, and, and we can see the faithfulness of God through all the Bible, through all the testimonies, through all the stories. We know God is good. We know God is faithful. We know God is... Sorry, that's the anointing right there. Did, you get to, did it get you? We know God is just. He will act justly. He's faithful. He will be faithful to the nth degree. He will do you good. He is a good God. So he calls on the name of the Lord. Now here it is, guys. Then there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while. But things started to dry up maybe. But is God calling you out of that which you were promised? Some people take it. Abraham took it into his own reasoning. He said, I need to feed my family. I got to do something about this. We, we got to go to Egypt. Man, this was the promised land, but things, there's Canaanites and things, are, there's a famine now. No, I need to take things into my own, own account. I need to, I need to realize right now that I, I got, it, God's too busy. He's looking after these other things. God's too busy. He's dealing with stuff. He, he doesn't know what I'm going through with my sick child and plight of my life, the stuff. Now, we need to back out of this stuff of worshiping God, serving God, giving to God. We need to back out. We need to find Egypt where we can survive, where we can know where we can survive. Of course, you know the story. He ends up lying about who his wife is, and he says, that's not my wife. And of course, Abraham was treated well in Egypt because he had a beautiful wife. And he said, no, she's not my wife. She's just my sister. And the Egyptian says, wow, she's your sister. Come on in, man. You and all your wealth and everything, who you are, of course, Egypt will let you live there. Then Pharaoh finds out, this ain't your, this ain't your sister. This is your wife. We're getting cursed. 20. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So this guy was immensely blessed. Chapter 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt, to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot with him. Abraham was very wealthy in livestock and silver. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. So he got strung out here, distanced from God. Well, let's go this way. Distanced from God, strung out here, not believing in the promises of God anymore, not believing that God has got him, God, God, God him covered. But then he comes back to Bethel, pitches his tent again, where he had first built, there's the word, the altar. Verse 4, 13 verse 4. Can I have that please, Jonathan, so people can see it? Great, thank you. Love people who are on the ball. Where he first built, where was your first altar? Man, I was on that altar looking at Julie's eyes. She looked resplendent, magnificent. I was going, man, how is this happening? This is amazing. Deadbeat like me. Marry this amazing woman full of potential, full of life, full of gorgeousness. <laughs> I've had to go back to that place because some canines started to roam around and suggest some other things. I had to go back where he had first, say first, 
built an altar. There, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now, Lot, ah, I haven't got time to go in it, but Lot starts quarreling, and Abraham's just awesome. He says, Lot, you take whatever you want. Abraham, I just want to keep the peace. I'm a peace-loving guy. You just take it. Take whatever you want. Yeah, well, I want down there around that city. That's awesome land. Yeah, go, man. Go. I just, just want to be right with you and be right with God. He thinks he's sold the shop up. He thinks he's done. He thinks he's absolutely done. Man, I've given, it, I've given my promise away. This is irrevocable. I've done it. I've given it away. Some, sometimes we've lost things that you think are irrevocable, that, that can't be gotten back. But I'm reminded of that scripture in Joel where he says he's going to repay you for the locusts, the, 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 the things that the locusts have eaten. He's going to repay you. He's going to bless you with your best life. And guess what happens? Guess what happens? The Lord, after he's given it all away and Abraham's going, what's left? What's left of this dream? What's left of this promise? What's left of what God originally had called me into, into the promised land? Man, I've just given it all away. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, C3, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make you, and I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk throughout the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of memory of Hebron, where he pitched his tent, and there he built an altar, realizing, God, you are going to do it. Anything that I've lost, it doesn't matter. You're going you're gonna to somehow, see, that's what redemption is. Redemption is, is taking a life, and it's, and it's broken, it's shattered, it's scattered, and God's saying, just give me all that brokenness. Just give me all that brokenness. And that's what an altar is. It's all through the seismic upheavals in your life where there's rocks in Italy. Someone was explaining to me why Italy's coming apart. Uh, a lady has her uh, relatives live there, and she was giving me some very uh, scientific explanations of there's fault lines under there, and there's rocks you know, bulging and, and compressing and retracting and that's what happens to us. I thought this was going to be a good land. I thought this was the promised land. I thought this was a land of faith. These seismic upheavals in our life cause rocks and hard things to be surrounding us. Some people may take those hard things or rocks and carry them around with them for the rest of their days. And if they get annoyed, they might even throw one of those hard rocks at you. Yeah, peg you with a rock. Oh, what was that? Yeah, that's what happened to me years ago. Here, have a rock from it. Have a rock from my altar. But the Bible's saying, grab those rocks, put them on the altar, and build an altar. Put them on the altar. Take your hard stuff. Take your broken stuff. Put it on the altar and say, God, there it is. Unto you. I will continue to live my life.
hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3tugra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Selfless faith to live like Christ.